0: This morning we'll be reading two passages um, of Scripture for the reading of the Word. The first is found in Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 3. And in the Pew Bible, that is found on page 619. And then the second Scripture reading we will have is from the book of Ephesians um, chapter 5. And uh, that is on page 978. The first is from Isaiah Chapter 60, verses 1 through 3. Hear the word of the Lord. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. And Ephesians chapter 5, verses 7 through 14. Therefore, do not associate with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall, will shine on you. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Let's pray together, please. Lord enable us by your grace to see afresh who we are in Christ what we are in your purpose in this world who you are in your lordship over this world and what you intend to do what you intend to accomplish through your church and for your church and what you purpose to do for this whole of creation and our amazing participation in it all. Lord, give us grace that we will walk worthy of the calling with which we've been called for your glory and for our great happiness, we pray. Amen. This passage in Isaiah is a central passage along with uh, the next two chapters. Some feel like it forms the heart of the ending of Isaiah as he begins to really roll out the amazing, glorious things that are to come. Uh, This chapter 60, if you would uh, be on that page, it would uh, be helpful on page 619 there. Uh, You'll notice in chapter 61... The very passage that Jesus quoted when he was in his hometown, Nazareth, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. So close association here with this mention of light coming upon God's people and the coming Messiah himself. And in the verse right before the one we read, he speaks of his covenant in which his spirit will be upon you and his words will be in you. And so this has all of these elements about it, the coming Messiah, the pouring out of the spirit. But we want to focus on this idea of the glory that is going to be upon you. And I hope that this will be something fixed in our hearts as we think now, having looked at reaching up in worship and reaching in in fellowship. This isn't a separate reach. In a way, you can't reach up without being in and out. You can't reach in without being up and out. You can't reach out without. You see what I'm saying? It's, as I've said sometimes before, theology and the Christian life is a pancake, not a waffle, okay? It's not in all these separate compartments. It flows together. That's why I've said tongue-in-cheek that theology is a woman. It's not a man because women are pancakes and men are waffles, all right? Okay. So just remember that deep thought that your pastor left with you. Yeah, he said theology is a woman. That's what he said, (laughs) but in the sense how of, of these things all join and flowing together and they move forward together or they fail together because we must worship and fellowship and reach out to others in one uh, constant motion. But isn't this amazing that he says these things in uh, chapter 60? Uh, so first I want to look at just this expression of glory upon you and then we're going to turn to Ephesians and look at the New Testament expression of this, as it's described as the the fullness of Christ and what that means—that the fullness of Christ is upon us, that that this glory is explained in those terms in the New Testament—but just for the sheer beauty, uh, arise, shine. Notice, you shine because your light has come. As I believe it was Motier said, it's not only that light is coming to you, but you're being, and here's his million-dollar word, irradiated, okay? Irradiated. That is, you are being made radiant in the coming of this light. It's not just light upon you, but light in you. You're suffused with this light, this light. Now, you become a part of this, the glory of God. You're caught up in this glory, and now you're manifesting This glory. Notice it says specifically, the Lord will rise upon you and his glory will be seen in you, upon you. So, whatever this means of God's glory being upon us, the nations will see it and they will be drawn to it. They are magnetized, so to speak. They are drawn into this glorious light that they see in the people of God. And we could couple this with a passage like Psalm 22 verse 27 that says, All the nations, all the families of the earth will come and worship before you. And so, though it's specified toward Israel, it has the widest effect on the whole earth that all nations are going to be affected by the glory that will rest on God's people. We think ultimately in Christ Jesus. This passage and these, this section of Isaiah looks forward both to Christ's initial coming and his second coming and they kind of are like mountains far off when you get closer, you realize, whoa, those mountains are 30 miles apart. I didn't realize that. But looking at from the Old Testament, they kind of look together. Things about the first coming and then things about the second coming uh, are set before us. But this, we think, is fulfilled most gloriously in the coming of the Spirit uh, in Pentecost, the birthing of The New Testament church, the manifestation of Christ in His people, uh, constituting us the new temple of God. And even as in the Old Testament, both in the tabernacle and the temple, when God came to dwell in those, the priests had to run out, right, because of the magnificent glory. Well, the glory of the New Testament church is different. It draws all people to itself. This glorious irradiation of the majesty of God in the character of God's people draws the nations to itself. And this, I think, is a good starting place for us to think about ministry is not just what we do, but who are we? Who are we? What are we? What has God constituted us? And what is the essential, the critical elements of this in our lives? The way it describes light coming upon us, upon the people of God who were in darkness, reminds us also of Isaiah 9 where it speaks of Galilee, the area of Galilee, that there was darkness upon her and a light broke out. And then it goes on to say, a son will be given to us. And so it has affinities with passages like that. But those who have been in Jerusalem to see when the sun comes over the eastern mountains and breaks in upon the city, they say it's still breathtaking. And of course, in that day, darkness was everywhere, even in the middle of the city. You know, we think you got to really get out there to look at the stars. Well, you could look at the stars in the middle of the town because things were so dark then. They didn't have light, of course. And then the, the. the sole means of light that would light up a city, of course, from the sun. So that's the picture here of the light coming over the mountains and breaking over Jerusalem. But this, of course, is a spiritual light. It's also a picture of creation, a recreation uh, of the new creation where there was darkness and God speaks light into our existence, Uh, the light of his glory, the light of his salvation the light of a relationship with him, the light of being like him, of walking in his love. So to flesh this out some, I'd like for us to turn back then to Ephesians. First of all, in chapter 1 of Ephesians. In chapter 1, Paul uh, prays a glorious prayer, uh, beginning with verse, uh, verse 15, 16. It says, I do not cease, in verse 16, this is on uh, page 976. Um, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Now, I want you to notice that the knowledge of Him is then given as what He does for His people. So the knowledge of God is not abstract. The knowledge of God is the revelation of what He is for His people, His salvation and the many rich benefits He gives His people. So He wants to be known as Savior, right? He wants to be known as the sovereign king who blesses his people. That's how you know him. It's not some abstract knowledge of uh, disconnected attributes. So notice he'll say, I want you to, uh, to, to have the revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened so that you may know, notice, not disconnected attributes, but what is the hope to which he has called you. That's the knowledge of God, you see. The hope. Here's another aspect of the knowledge of God. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? That's the knowledge of God. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? So three things there. Hope and inheritance and power. That is what he prays for in terms of the knowledge of God. And then he describes that power. It's according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ... When he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. That's the power I'm talking about. The power that took a dead man and placed him on the pinnacle of power. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And then, he mentions us. And it's incredible what he says about the church. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Now, we're going to look at that phrase toward the end. But Here's the first one I I want to look at, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, to say he fills all in all means that his sovereign presence and therefore the accomplishment of every purpose that he has fills everything. Nothing blocks him out. Nothing stops him. He fills everything with his presence and he accomplishes all of his will. But all of creation is not his fullness. We are his fullness. And as they say this is not an active word like we complete him, you know, like the movie you complete me. Like we we complete Jesus. No, he completes us. He fills us. We are the manifestation of the fullness of his salvation and his character, what he is doing in the earth. We have been uh, immeasurably enriched by him. That's what he means by we're the fullness. He has given us all things. He dwells in us powerfully. He has poured out his spirit and all grace into our life. Or as he put it earlier in this same letter... Uh, all, every spiritual blessings are ours in the heavenlies. Here's another way to say this. We're His fullness. Everything that He is is imparted to us. Everything that He's accomplished and won for us, He spins it lavishly into our lives. We're His fullness. How wonderful. Now, I want to trace this word in a few other places in Ephesians because this fullness constitutes the glory that rests upon us, right? This is the glory that is going to draw the nations to us. It is, in New Testament terms, the fullness of Christ, that the manifestation of His presence and character in our lives. And notice how it's spoken later in Ephesians. You can just look on the opposite page if you're using the Pew Bible. In chapter 3, verses 16 and following... Here again is a prayer of Paul, okay? He prays in verse 16, according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. And I would say, i.e., that is... "...so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, so that Christ's presence and character may manifest itself fully in you." So Christ uh, does this through the Spirit's presence in us. We're strengthened in power through His Spirit. Christ manifests Himself fully in us. But notice, here's the point of His prayer. What does He want to happen as a result of the Spirit's indwelling, as a result of Christ in us That you being rooted and grounded in love, that is in the community of saints, in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, which is preparatory to finally get to the real thing he's talking about. It builds up the height and length and and, uh, breadth and depth to know the love of Christ. That surpasses knowledge. And here's the key phrase to to which we're moving. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, think of this. The fullness of God is the same as the fullness of Christ, okay? Which is the glory of God resting upon us. The glory of God that's come upon us. But I want you to notice what constitutes... what, What is the content of this fullness of God to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. We will be manifesting the fullness of God and we'll be manifesting the glory of God when we ourselves more and more deeply understand and embrace and trust in this love of Christ. Fullness of God is, and, and I would say, the glory of God is joined to this Great prayer pause, this great point of the Holy Spirit's work in us that we would understand the love of Christ. Now, one more, and we draw a few conclusions. In chapter 4 of Ephesians, if you just uh, turn to the top of the next page if you're using the Pew Bible, in verse 13, chapter 4, verse 13. He's talked about Christ in chapter 4 being exalted to the right hand of God. And having been exalted, he's poured out gifts upon his church. Nobody can stop him from pouring out gifts and blessing upon his church. He names some of those gifts in verse 11 and speaks about how they these, those so gifted equip the body of Christ for the work of ministry. And notice here in verse 13, the goal of his pouring out these gifts, the goal of equipping the saints until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. There it is again. Knowledge of the Son of God is parallel with to know the love of Christ. And notice then he says, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Again, this phrase, this fullness of Christ. We are the fullness of Christ, chapter 1. We know the love of Christ that we may be filled to all the fullness of God. And then I want you to see the connection between verse 13 and what he says is the final manifestation of verse 16. So when all of these gifts are being exercised in the body, he says, the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Those are parallel statements. The stature of the fullness of Christ is being built up in love. So this fullness of Christ, this glory of God that rests upon us, is this new character of love and graciousness and kindness that we manifest in this world. This is the glory of God's people, the glory of the gospel going forth and spoken but embodied as well in God's people. The glory of a word that goes forth of the renewal in Christ Jesus and its manifestation in the very people of God. So that the fullness of Christ expresses itself as we're building ourselves up in love. The fullness of God expresses itself as we are more and more growing in the knowledge of the love of Christ. And so, Jesus can say in Matthew 5.16, Let your works, let your light, we can connect that to glory and fullness, let your light so shine that others will see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven there it is the good basically he's saying let your goodness be pervasive let your goodness spill out and refresh and renew let your goodness pour itself out into other people's lives and into one another's lives so that others will see the glory of god and be drawn to you so that they will see that light and glorify your father who is in heaven So, it's a community of good that God is building. A community of kindness and goodness. An expanding good. A good that others are encountering. Who are being refreshed in its good. Challenged by its good. Convicted by its good. And drawn into its good. This glory, this light, this new character that is in Christ Jesus And it stands against what so many people have experienced, sadly, in many of those who name the name of Christ. The hypocrisy of the church burned by pride and ugly new versions of self under the guise of religion. And I think of it then kind of like bug bug zappers, you know, You're attracted to what looks like the light, but when you get in it, you get burned. That's the very phrase that people have used. I've been burned by the church. Burned by hatred, burned by betrayal, burned by gossip and lies and slander, burned by authoritarian uh, attitudes in which people are dictated or or, are ruled in a dictator-like way, evil and selfish and mean-spirited, bullying even. No wonder that Peter says in 1 Peter 5 about the elders, don't do that. (laughs) Be tender and gracious. Be examples to the flock because even then there was that tendency of power. And so, we, by God's grace, must form this community that's marked by the glory of God. And Think of this, God is relationship and therefore he must be about relationship with his people. He must be about intimacy. That's who he is. That's what he does. That's all he's going to be about is for him to be the centerpiece of our relationship and for us to be relationship and for others to see that. That's just what God's going to do because that's who he is. That's who he's always been. And so we're forming a community of light and glory that's breaking out into the world. Uh, The glory of the Lord seen upon you. Isn't that a wonderful thing to think we could constitute a community and they would see the glory of God upon us by the way we treat one another, by the way we treat them, by the way we love our next-door neighbor, by the way we care for our fellow worker. The glory of God rests upon you, brothers and sisters. The light has come upon you. It has. There's no question about it. It's declared. The glory of God is upon you. The new character is being brought about in your lives because the very Holy Spirit of God is working in your hearts and taking up dwelling place. You are the temple of God. This is our starting place in reaching out. As so many times in the New Testament it's not simply go and do this but first we're told this is who you are this is what god's done for you this is your new uh your new name right your new identity this is who you are and this is what you're to be in this world and i just want to close with a couple of comments first from ephesians 1 and this is one of the greatest statements in scripture Because when he says he gave him as head over all things to the church, he's not saying he's head over all things for the church. That is, all things that are in the church. Like, whatever goes on in the church, he's the head of you. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, this one who is head over all things, I'm giving him to you. He's yours. It's like that Hyundai commercial where he says... If you can find a better deal, I'll just give it to you. You've heard that way too many times, right? And here's God saying, Here's the Lord. I've exalted him far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. He can do anything he wants to do. He desires to save you and indwell you and transform you and use you in this world. And I'm just going to give him to you. He's yours. This Lord of all. And so there's no limit as to what will happen when this Lord of all has indwelled His church and now the glory rests upon His church. What does He want to do with His church? He wants to transform the world to such an extent that the nations will come. This is not an if proposition. It's a when proposition. It's a certain proposition. The nations will come. But you see, it must begin even right here. This part of the nations, Fort Worth, To come to the light that is in this church. To come to the glory that is upon us. Because we are manifesting that glory in this place. It's not like make believe out there somewhere. It's us right here in this place. That's where it must start. And finally, I go to Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10. Just staying in Ephesians here. And by the way... Isn't all this wonderful, because as Paul says, as, as uh, Scott read at the beginning, you were darkness, but now you're sons of the light. We we were a part of the darkness, not just a part of, we produced the darkness, as we said before. I was darkness, and so having come upon all of us, delivering us from darkness into his light, we're constituted those of glory and Therein marks one of the most incredible features about us that in our character we become like Jesus who sacrificed himself for us. And in that sacrifice most greatly manifested the glory of God. In John chapter 12 he says, Now the glory of God is going to be unveiled as he was speaking about his own death. So Christ's death didn't hide His glory. It unleashed the glory of God. The glory of a God who would sacrifice Himself for sinners. That's the glory that will manifest itself in our lives. We're those who humble ourselves. We're those who sacrifice ourselves. We're those who lose ourselves for one another and for others. That's our glory. Not exalting ourselves. Not parading ourselves, putting ourselves on a pedestal. Our glory is that we're like God who sacrifices himself. That's our glory. So that Peter can even say in 1 Peter 4 that when you suffer, take courage. Let me read it to you. He said... If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Not in spite of the fact that you're suffering, but all the more because you're suffering, because you are truly manifesting your likeness to Jesus, your willingness to give yourself up to God. Oh, what glory breaks out in God's people when they sacrifice, when they give themselves away to each other. Then finally, I almost forgot to give that. That's really the third point. I was going to do Ephesians 1, 1 Peter 4. And then finally this one, uh, Ephesians 3.10. Through the church, he, he says that grace was given him in verse 8 to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages, in God who created all things. And earlier he speaks of the mystery in verse 6 that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. So the mystery, the glorious mystery, is that Jew and Gentile are together now in fellowship, that they've been reconciled. And verse 10, So that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now though this includes, no doubt the good rulers and authorities, especially in Ephesians, he's speaking about the evil rulers and authorities. So what, how does this manifest the wisdom of God to those evil authorities? And the glorious truth is that as we manifest God's reconciliation, as Jew and Gentile manifested the reconciliation... It became a shot over the bow of the wicked rulers of the world. The Gentiles are no longer in your hands. The Gentiles are going to be gathered in. You're no longer going to hold the dominion over them as you have since the world began practically. They are now going to flood in and you can't stop it. It's a way to say, you know, that phrase, fifteen minutes of, of glory. Andy Warhol popularized it in 68 when he said, "Uh, in the future, every person will be world famous for 15 minutes. (laughs) That was his little comment. And so it was taken into common culture of saying, you've got your 15 minutes of glory. And this is like God saying to the rulers everywhere, as you see, ensconced in the church, reconciliation between Jew and Gentile, your 15 minutes are up. Okay? Your 15 minutes are up. Here is, in fact, the picture of the final reconciliation of all things, spoken of in Ephesians 1, where everything will be united in Christ, or Colossians 1, where it says Christ will reconcile all things to himself. Where is this begun? Where is the glory begun to shine out? Right here, where reconciliation and fellowship and intimacy occurs, as in nowhere else in creation, in his church. The beginning of the breakout of the final reconciliation of all things is in you. My uh, daughter was, early in their uh, marriage, awakened by the screams of their golden retriever. And she ran outside, and the dog was screaming, basically, because their pit bull had it by the throat. Okay? So she goes over, she tries to set him free, she can't beat him off of it, so she's pretty handy with the gun. She goes inside what they started living in the uh, double wide on the, on the property there. Um, so she goes in the trailer, gets the shotgun, brings it over, says a few choice words to the dog, fires the gun in the air, okay, the dog let go. Okay, It was like, you're next, buddy. You're next. And I would propose to you that his reconciling us to himself, this glory that is breaking out in the church, the down payment, the declaration of the future reconciliation of the world, and the final destruction of evil, is God cocking his shotgun and shooting it off and saying, it's over. It's over. You must let the nations go now. They will come to me in a multitude that no man can number. You're no longer in control. That's what we're part of. That's what we're part of because he's given this head of all things to the church. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, we praise you for the glory that rests upon us. We praise you that Christ, the Lord of history, has been given to us. We praise you, Lord, that you are forming in us your character. As Paul himself said, we are beholding the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into that same glory, From that same image from glory to glory. Lord, You are making us like Christ. Therefore, You are making us into those who sacrifice themselves, who freely, gladly give ourselves away. And therein is our glory, that we really are like God. We really are like God who manifested Himself in the flesh and sacrificed Himself for His people. And oh Lord, in the beginning budding love that we have for one another, the reconciliation of relationship and the the work to maintain that peace and that unity, as Paul says in Ephesians, to do. This manifestation of reconciliation and peace and love is the shot across the bow of the wicked rulers. It is the manifestation of the wisdom of God. And Lord, how glorious that it is the prediction of the final future and reconciliation of all things. Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you that as we think of reaching out into this world, we can know who we are in Christ Jesus, that we are none other than the fullness of Jesus Christ. How we praise you in his name. Amen.